Podcast. The Gospel According to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Well, it's time to go to our text. We are uh, picking up where we left off, actually. It happens to be Matthew chapter 2. We're going to get a visit from some wise men from the East. And uh, we look forward to the truths that God has for us to encourage our hearts and our faith. Let's ask God's blessing. Now, Father God, a story that we have heard hundreds of times, but your word is alive. It's living, it's active. We could read it a thousand more times and there'll always be something new, something alive and wonderful, something that breathes life into us because it's God-breathed. It didn't come from any man. It doesn't have its origin on earth, but the word of God living and breathing and sharp like a sword as you describe it, a good scalpel to go in and do the necessary work of healing set our hearts free. And we pray toward that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a lot of ways to get people's attention these days, especially if you're a business owner and you don't want to go unnoticed, right? I drive by a subway shop nearby and oftentimes there's a, somebody employed to hold a sign and an arrow on the sidewalk. I'm sure you've seen them. Uh, hey, everyone, turn in here and turn in here. You're going to love that dancing. They got their earbuds in and the flipping and the twirling of the sign. And uh, it works. I mean, we, we don't want to. We want to pretend like we don't see them, but we're watching them and we see the, the name Subway and we know if we're hungry and we want a sandwich and it's around noon, we know there's a Subway in that little strip mall. Uh, so they've accomplished what they set out to do. Yes, all sorts of ways to make us look <laughs> and grab our attention. Uh, I got some slides to show you some creative ways people go about that. <laughs> Now, come on, what does that big inflatable gorilla have to do with buying a new truck? You know, they would say everything (laughs) because you wouldn't notice us without the help of the gorilla, right? And then there's this other one, hard to miss. Yeah, you know, you look up in the sky and what are you thinking? You're thinking of, you know, the chicken wrap, the number eight, you know, or whatever. Uh, And that's their intention, you know? And then there's this dude here that you see everywhere, you know? And I I love to say, nice try, and I walk by without noticing them, but I'm noticing them. And, uh, you know, even not to notice them is to notice them. (laughs) And so, yeah. And there's one company that when it comes to buying your next set of tires, they want you to think of them, right? There it is. I mean... Why buy any other kind of tire? Unless, of course, you're a Benedetti. What am I thinking? 
<laughs> that just in, folks. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so thanks for that. And uh, that's what we do when something's important. We don't want anybody uh, to miss out on something that we have to offer, especially since it's a self-interest and personal gain at stake. But something happened, didn't it? 2,000 years ago, something very important, and someone with a capital S wanted to make sure that nobody missed out, <laughs> and not because of motives of self-interest or personal gain, but of motives for others to gain, to be blessed, to be out of harm's way, to know the purpose of life, the past death and the judgment, to fare well and to live forever, yeah, it was the Lord God. And he has his ways of grabbing some attention with a birth announcement there in Bethlehem that says, don't miss it. Don't miss this, the word that was in the beginning, that was with God. The word was God. And the word that was God became flesh and blood and was born into this world that we call the God Man, the creator taking on human form for a purpose to rescue his people from their sins, to suffer and die, to live a perfect life for us, to die the perfect death on our behalf, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's God's heart that none perish that all come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And so, yeah, you know, with unlimited resources like God has, he doesn't need a, a blow-up gorilla, you know, or a Goodyear blimp. He's got a star, you know, he's made the stars. And if he wants to utilize one for a birth announcement, that's his ability to do so. And so he's underscoring this truth that something big has happened. Please don't miss out. Pleased as man with man to dwell Jesus, our Emmanuel, as the uh, song, the Christmas carol goes. And so this morning, Matthew 2, the star over Bethlehem, the wise men who followed it, the king who opposes it, and the true king in that cradle who comes to save the souls of men. Starting at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, well, I lead with this question. God is vying for the attention of the entire world. You see it from cover to cover. You see it in the great tribulation. There's an angel toward the end of the great tribulation, what the world calls Armageddon. There's an angel that traverses the international skies, preaching the everlasting gospel. Even then, <laughs> when the world has really crossed over the line, God is still reaching out. Don't miss it. Don't miss out. And if anyone perishes, they have to kind of leap over the bruised and broken, battered body of the Lord Jesus Christ who died so that we wouldn't have to experience that kind of tragedy. And so... He's vying for the attention of the world. I just have a question to lead in. Does he have yours? Verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? 
We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Well, well what we're going to do this morning is walk through the, the story, pause, and kind of glean some insights as we go, something we do. So, note takers, the Magi come seeking, right? News has gotten out what God's up to. You know, he put so 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, and some wise men got a hold of some of them. I'll explain how that works later. And um, here they come, and it's a real paradox because Israel has many rabbis, Pharisees, Sadducees, scholars, scribes, and priests, as we'll see. They're well-trained and well-studied, and they know the Hebrew scriptures, and, and, and yet they're going to seem clueless. Well, they appear to be clueless. Uh, they know way more than they care to admit, like a lot of unbelievers even today. Uh, but here, Gentile visitors from modern-day Iraq, I'll explain that, come. Gentile just means non-Jewish people. It means the nations. It's, it's a word that means nations. And here they come as a shout-out that God's intention was always the world. Yes, he's born related to the Jews through Mary, blood. He doesn't have an earthly father. But he's, he, he appears into this world as a fulfillment of Jewish prophecy to Jewish people. But it's the Gentiles that come first. And so you'll see that God's always had his eye on the world. And so when God leads those who are open, who are searching for truth, whoever they are, whatever they've done, whatever their background but for those who harden their hearts and turn a blind eye, there's no spiritual guidance provided. One writer said, you know, uh, how do you lead someone where they have no desire to go? And so the first stop, as we see Jerusalem, capital of um, Israel, headquarters, they go straight to the top. And the star just kind of led them there because God has a purpose in all of this. Who are these guys? And how in the world did they ever figure out that Jesus was being born? Well, the Magi, they're not kings. If you get your theology from Hallmark, you, you, you may be in for some surprises when you read the Bible. Uh, they are not kings, but they are dignitaries. And so, yeah, close. Um, they are often translated as wise men. The word really is associated with the astronomers and the philosophers, the spiritual advisors that served foreign kings. We see this in the Old Testament. In fact, would you be surprised to know and recall that Daniel is called the chief of the Magi. He's called chief of the Magi in Babylon. Now, how did Daniel, the prophet, that we read about in the Old Testament, get to Babylon. And that's a good story because 500 years earlier, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego become the Magi for the kings of Babylon, the king of Persia. And God does amazing things. How they got there was in about 586 BC, God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar of a modern day Iraq to come in and take captive the best and the brightest and most of Jerusalem uh, to, into exile into modern-day uh, Iraq. 
And so Baghdad is really the place of the headquarters of where they were taken. And there they did amazing things. And Daniel got a vision for the whole end of the world. And in fact, he was given the information for when the Messiah would come, when the Messiah would die, and when the Messiah would return again. And he writes a mathematical equation in Daniel chapter 9 that if you do the math, you can figure it all out. In fact, when the disciples say, hey, say, so when are you coming back, Lord? Tell us the time and the seasons. He refers to Daniel chapter 9 because Daniel has the timeline of redemptive history right there. Those scrolls remained in Iraq through the centuries. And you want to know why? They valued them because they valued Daniel. Are you kidding me? Daniel was famous in the entire world. Let me show you a map of where Daniel was reigning and ruling with the kings. Here's the map. He was an important person. So you will know why the scrolls were worth keeping. They were worth keeping because Daniel was famous. And so Daniel was the number one in charge under the king because of all the revelations God had given him and God had promoted him up there. And so back to the text, we have these scrolls there and they were were worth keeping because not only did they talk about this king that would be born in Bethlehem, but they also talked about his nature being eternal and being equal to God, that he should be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. And so, of course, these prophecies were like Daniel and the Holy Spirit prophesying about a king that would be born not just to Israel, but to uh, all the whole human race. And so that is why it was worth keeping the scrolls, doing the math, searching the skies, and making the thousand-mile trek from the east, Babylon, to Jerusalem. And so the king who was born was more than just a king. He was almighty God. But none of this amazed uh, Herod. The only thing that got stuck in his craw was that there was someone born a king. And so we're going to see this now as we continue on to the story. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now, I would say he was disturbed before he heard it, but <laughs> I mean it in a different way. Now, uh, not only was he disturbed, but interestingly, Jerusalem's all upset too. Upset, disturbed, troubled is the word. Verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests, the experts, the religious teacher of the law, the law is a nickname for the Bible. He asked them where the Christ was to be born. Come on, you guys, you must know. And they respond rather quickly, don't they? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet Micah has written in chapter 5 and verse 2 of Micah's book. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And Micah will go on to say, and not just Israel, but he will reign and rule the world forever. Now, I wonder who he's talking about there. So this upset this 
want to be king. And so Herod is not born a king. He was made a king. And actually, he made himself king through horrible manipulations and bribery, extortion, murder, kind of like today in some parts of the world. Uh, Herod the Great, he was a great architect. If you go to Israel and, and go before the Western Wall, that's under his oversight. He was a great architect, a great builder. He restored the second temple to where you can see parts of it today. But instead of being called Herod the Great, commentators say he should be called Herod the Great Sinner because he was a murderous thug. Anybody that threatened his sovereign rule was executed. And so one writer said it was said it was safer to be one of Herod's sows than one of his sons. He killed three of his sons. He had them executed. He had his wife executed and her mother executed, all written up in the history books by Josephus. And so he styled himself as a king. He got there as a usurper, a wannabe. And here's the deal. Here's what's stuck in his craw. He hears through scripture that there's somebody who's credentialed, who doesn't have to be raised and vetted out as a prince. He's born with the goods. He's the real deal. And he's born that way. Herod, he doesn't come from the line of the kings as Joseph did. We didn't need Joseph to be related to the kings, but he is. Mary's related to the kings as well. Jesus is in the line of the kings, but who's Herod in the line of? He's in the line of Esau. He is called an Edomite. And Esau, for those who know the Bible, know that he's a bad guy. He's the guy who sold his birthright, who said, I don't want any blessing from God. I don't want a relationship with God. I'm not interested in the future when you die and go to heaven and all of that. All I care about is sexual immorality and feeding my pleasures and my passions. And he sold everything for a hot bowl of red lentil stew. And when he did that, he got the nickname Red, which is Edom in Hebrew. And he went rejected and off as an outcast down south, south and south, and he started a nation called Edom for red. And this Herod the Great is an Edomite and traces his bloodline back to Esau, who's only interested in temporal things, who won't bow the knee to God, who won't abdicate the throne of self, because that would be asking to bow the knee to another, capital A, and all those in the spiritual lineage of Esau live for today, live for their passions, live, for, live to reign and rule, to be the captain of their own destinies. It's the same thing, spiritually related to Esau. And that is why he's so disturbed is because he's the usurper. And so here's Jesus. He's got in God's authority and will and design. And yeah, the angel said it's great joy to all people. But you know what's funny to me? You know who the ones who uh, find it joyful are the outcasts. The shepherds are outcasts. And the outsiders those Gentiles are outside the covenant of salvation to Israel. 
And who are the ones receiving this great uh, news with great joy? It's the outcasts and it's the outsiders. It's the same old story. That's how it usually goes. That's the good news. So the fraud is disturbed. And interestingly, all of Jerusalem, Herod, I already said there's a rival on the scene. He's born credentialed. And then he hears his star. (laughs) That would have freaked me out too. I mean, who has a star when you're a baby? We saw his star. Well, of course, because Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 says, all things were created by him. Yeah, he's in the form of a human baby. But watch out, this is the incarnation of the Most High God, the second person of the Godhead. He speaks in the universe leapt into existence, and by that baby's power, everything holds together. And so, yeah, he's got a star. We saw his star. They were right. It belongs to him. The Lord created the stars, and he used one on the night of his own birth. Go figure. God can do whatever he wants, and he's a great big multitasker at that. (laughs) Now, you know, why is all Israel upset? They see the star. They've got the scriptures. They've learned the scriptures all their lives. These are his people. Why are they disturbed? Because first of all, it's an entourage. It's not three wise men. It's a whole bunch of them. We get three wise men because there are three gifts, but it doesn't say there were three. Why would the whole city be in an uproar over two guys on a camel? (laughs) They're dignitaries. They're wise men. They've got treasures. The word treasure there. They didn't stop at Walmart and pick up some socks. Okay. (laughs) I'm glad you like that one. This is a big deal. And why wouldn't the Jews come out and say, look at the star. We've got the wise men. What are we doing? Where is people? These are Gentiles. What are we letting the Gentiles lead the way? They go back to sleep. Why? Because a king implies what? Bowing the knee. Status quo, gone. Oh, if, if, if God enters the context of my life, things have got to change. So let's just go back to sleep, spiritually speaking, and maybe this will all go away. Now, for those who did receive with joy, man, because they, they figure out a heaven-sent king, well, that, that's a king I would bow to. A king that would die on a cross for me so that I wouldn't have to be judged. I could, I could serve a king like that, a king of love, a king of goodness, a king who's got my back, a king who knows every head every head on my hair, <laughs> every hair on my head or lack thereof. He, he knows and he cares and he loves and he made me and he loves me and he has a place for me in heaven. I'll serve that king. I'll serve that king. But sadly, others, while some are delighted, others are disturbed, like it says here. And so um, the plot is hatched there in step four as we walk through. Uh, Step one of the plot, uh, first find the child. Where is he? So I could get my hands on him, right? So he enlists God's supposing wise men, the chief priests, the teachers. um, Every one of those guys, every one of them will be at Jesus' trial. They'll have to think back, oh, this is the guy with the star. This is the guy with the star. 
See, there's so many ways God just wants to get through to somebody and say, man, don't miss it. Don't miss it. And so uh, he, he has this thing. I imagine it like a movie, funny, you know, uh, they get wake, <laughs> wakened up uh, abruptly, uh, huge commotion, foreign dignitaries, you know, with their valuables. And by the way, they didn't travel without armed guards. And so there's armed guards and dignitaries and all of this. And they, <laughs> Herod calls the supposed religious leaders who... <laughs> calls them and says, uh, you guys come to the situation room because we got a situation. <laughs> you guys know about your Messiah, our Messiah? Who is he, the Christ and all of that? Where will he be born? Oh, wait a second. Let us do some research. No. Oh, uh, give us a couple days. We'll dig into the scrolls. Oh, no, no, there's none of that because uninterested unbelievers always know way more than they let on to knowing. They know exactly where he is and he, they're not interested. Oh, we can tell you all about how to get there. We're not going. But we got the knowledge, which is condemnable. God judges us. We know. We decide. I could point somebody else there. I could tell you all about it. But me, myself, I'm not going. And so you can lead a horse to water. And in this case, you could lead a soul to living water but you cannot make them drink. And it's right there, and he's leading, and he's trying, and if anyone perishes, it will not because it be God's fault or anybody else's, but their own, because he led them as far as possible, and yet they refuse for some reason. And so you guys know about the Christ. Where will he be born? And they bust out Micah chapter 5, verse 2 in a heartbeat that essentially says, though, though you, excuse me, though you are insignificant little town of Bethlehem. Oh, this is going to put you on the map. This is the paraphrase. Oh, this is somebody's going to be born in you that will make you go from Katati, all right? <laughs> this is the idea. Katati. Famous for what? Accordion festival? You know, <laughs> come on. Uh, now, the savior of the world is going to be born in a Katati-like town. And Micah, 500 years before, is saying, whoa, listen up. Little insignificant town of Bethlehem. Listen, they're going to be singing songs about you for 2,000 years. Because from you will come the ruler of not only shepherding Israel, but as I mentioned will sit on a throne for eternity as God's son, God's king. And so this is an amazing thing. And so uh, I don't know if they mentioned uh, that he would also be God in uh, the flesh or not. So yeah, no massive crowd, no massive conversion, nobody gawking at the star. They all go back to bed. And you know, there's something, there's a thing about unbelievers who are not interested or so they say, even though they know, they know the claim of the gospel. And there's uh, some people respond and you see the hostility right there, right? And others are really nice about it. They just go back to bed. And at the end of the story, they say, well, we didn't do anything. Right? So it's called passive aggressive hostility. And so what they do is they kill you with kindness and they write you out of the picture. And there's nothing more ruthless than to never speak the name of that person again and to pretend that they don't exist and to live your life, oh, oh, like you 
You brought yourself into existence that you gave birth to yourself and you invented yourself and you sustain yourself and your, your heartbeat beats because you make it beat and that you've done all of your income on your own. And when you die, you'll handle it. You'll take care of yourself because you were basically a good guy and all of that stuff. Well, that's, that's the way some unbelievers express their hostility that they don't go after God with aggression. They just pretend he doesn't exist. That's why you don't see any Jews following. Maybe a handful, but nothing more than that. The gospel is a tough sell. It's a tough sell, right? It's a tough sell because what it says, bottom line, King Herod's problem is the problem. You want me to get off the throne and make room for another king to run my life? I got to do what he says all the time. I can't do and run my own life. That's the bottom line. And that's why people passively aggress or aggress passively. <laughs> that's the bottom line. So step one, get the whereabouts of Jesus. And then step two, move in for the kill. Uh, verses seven and eight. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said in a command, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. That's uh, a big lie, right? So armed with this new information about Bethlehem, he calls for a private meeting secretly. Well, of course, one writer said, uh, why, of course, a private meeting? Deeds of evil are most often done under the cloak of secrecy. The problem with these people who do things under the cover of darkness and think nobody's ever going to find out. The problem is in Romans chapter 2, Paul says that God will judge the secrets of men's hearts on that great day. Now, the gospel is good news for us because our secrets and our sins have already been judged. They can't be judged again because they were judged on Christ, the baby who grows up, the God-man. And he becomes those secret sins and pays for them. He cries out, it is finished, paid in full. So on that great day when, when Christ sees us, there's no secrets to judge. They were all publicly displayed on Christ. And he took the beating. So much so, the Bible says you couldn't recognize him as a human being from the swelling and the beating and the bruising. No surprises. I don't have anything to worry about. I'm going to stand before God, and so are you, O believer, with the gospel, because every last shameful, ugly, terrible, wicked thing I've ever thought, said, or did has been openly taken, put on Christ, paid for. And when I stand there, I'm scot-free, as if I've never sinned. That's what the word justify means. We are justified by faith as a gift that came at Christmas time. That's pretty good news. Amen? <laughs> Now, all right, so he has this Edomite king has a question and he has a request. Oh, I want to know exactly when you saw the sign of this star. Month, date, and year. He has to know 
How much trouble is it going to be to get rid of this guy? How old is he? What am I dealing with? So that's what he wants to know. And then he says, oh, and I want you to go make, oh, the, the Greek is careful scrutiny. Uh, it, it means to uh, spare no expense. Find out, search diligently. And wouldn't surprise me if money's involved or a chariot or do you want an armed escort? Find him as soon as you do make haste. Report back so I can worship this king too, right? Now, you guys brought the gift of gold, but I'm going to one-up you. I'm going to bring a gift of iron in the form of an executioner's sword. That's my gift to the author of life. I would rather kill the author of life than abdicate the throne of self-rule. Yeah, that's bad. Let's finish up, see how it goes. (laughs) By the way, Jesus wins. All right. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east, voila, there it is again. And it goes and leads them and stops over the place. What kind of star is this? Where the child was. Just throw this in. I'm just thinking of it now. The pillar of fire guiding the Jews through the wilderness. Come on. I mean, he can do things like this. He's God, right? So the star stops over the place where Jesus is. Uh, Verse 10, when they saw the star, they're overjoyed. On coming to the house, not the manger, it makes a beautiful painting, but they didn't, they weren't at the manger. There's some time later, maybe a few months, a few weeks, but they're not, they're at a house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bow down. That word is to prostrate oneself, flat, face, flat, and worshiped him. They opened their treasures, it's a big word, and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to the Edomite false fake wannabe king, they returned to their own country by another route, which makes Herod not very happy. But we're going to conclude with this paragraph now uh, with some pleasant news uh, now compared to what we've been talking about. Jesus made a promise. He said, if you seek, you'll find And fine, they do. (laughs) More than a little happy, this word overjoyed, the wise men are. Uh, Verse 10 is a weak translation, overjoyed. I see what the NIV is doing. The NIV, the new one especially, is a thought-for-thought translation. King James is a word-for-word. That's why King James can get clunky and complicated because they're trying to go word-for-word. But in this case, you need word-for-word. Because NIV, the overjoyed, oh, come on. I, let me explain what King James is word for word. It strains the boundary of language. But how happy they were. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Oh, come on. <laughs> that overjoyed? No. No, they were beside themselves with a static joy and happiness. They were out of their minds with delight. Fireworks were going off in their hearts and minds. God is, they're connecting the dots. God has allowed us to see the star that led us to Israel. And now there it is again, and it's going and it's going and it stops over a house. 
And they realized this. If you were to ask them, what was the big fireworks in your heart overjoyed with exceeding great joy out of your minds with happiness? Why? They, they connected the dots as individuals. Oh, my Lord, God is moving heaven and earth for me. Who am I to find favor? The, the, wise, the wise scholars and the religious people, they're not here. The people, the important people, the people that, you know, so-called significant people, but God would draw me out of my darkness. God knows me and he's speaking to me. God Almighty, speaking tenderly to me, showing me favor I don't deserve, bringing me to the feet of the Messiah. Why is he doing that? Why did he pick me? That's it. That's their joy. He's our joy, unspeakable joy. How did I get off the wide road that leads to destruction that many take? Why? There's no explanation of why he bestows favor and grace. And somehow he softened our hearts and made us want to bow the knee. And we did. And that's the only difference between us who will live together forever with the Lord in paradise. He calls it paradise. And those who will die the second death and be eternally separated. Christmas is so that will never happen to anybody. Christmas is to save our souls. And so now we have here the mother and child. I'll just throw this in there. Commentators say, by the way, mother and child are mentioned together five times in the chapter. And every time, untraditionally, that would have got the Jews' attention who were reading it for the first time. It's child and mother, child and mother, child and mother, child and mother, child and mother. It should be mother and child, but they reverse it to put Jesus in the front and Mary in the back. And why do they do that? One commentator said this, Mary is intentionally placed in the backdrop for good reason. She herself refers to God as her savior in Luke chapter one and verse 46. And she who needs a savior cannot save anybody else. She is honored and esteemed like none other, but in all reality, a sinner who needs to be saved. That is crazy that she will deliver the child who will grow up to die for her sins and deliver her as the song goes. And so how dreadful it would be to be Mary in her lifetime to, to, to ever have the thought, and, and, and probably she did not, that millions and millions and millions of people would worship her and cry out to her in the moment of their death. Please intercede as co-redemptress for us, Mary, dear Mary. How dreadful it would have been for her or any of the apostles or disciples to find out that people prayed to them. So overjoyed, Jesus is in a house and he's being cared for by his mother. They, don't, they never mention the guy when they talk about a baby. That's always the, the mom, right? <laughs> and so Joseph is there 
uh, of course. And so uh, they're probably staying with Joseph's relatives. You know how they got to Bethlehem. They're not from Bethlehem. They're from Nazareth. They came down because Joseph's related to King David. And King David was born in Bethlehem. And in the family's ancestral home is in Bethlehem. And uh, Caesar, uh, uh, Caesar, <laughs> Caesar Augustus uh, said, hey, I want you all to go back to your hometowns for a census. And while they were there, according to prophecy, to fulfill prophecy that he had to be born in King David's town of Bethlehem because he's King David's ancestor. He was given birth there in Bethlehem. And so now they're probably just staying with relatives or renting a house until the baby's big enough to go back to Nazareth. But that's not what's going to happen here. Anyway, they bow down, they prostrate themselves, and out come the gifts. Let's conclude with the three gifts because it's the gospel being preached to you. And maybe something new here that you did not know. Gold, royalty, God, deity. But unbeknownst to the Magi, they're going to need some quick cash in about 24 to 48 hours, aren't they? Because Herod's going to send the iron sword to the town to find the king, Jesus, to kill him. So Joseph will be warned in a dream, Run for your lives. Take the baby and his mother and, and flee to Egypt. Get out of Israel because the king is going to look to kill him. Well, Joseph's probably thinking, money, it takes money to travel international. And I'm going to go, well, when I go, when I, oh, I got a sack of gold now. Oh, God knew, God knew, 48 hours. They'd have, they'd have to flee. And that money took care of them for three, four, five years in Egypt until Herod the great sinner breathed his last. And the angel woke uh, Joseph up and said, hey, man, it's time to go back. The guy's dead who sought the life of Jesus. Yeah, gold. In the nick of time, God's always on time. And it relates to him as God. Frankincense and myrrh are shout out to what Jesus came to do as our high priest, the one who stands in between us and God and mediates for us. Now, let me show you a picture here. Let's talk about frankincense first. Yeah, let me show you this here. The frankincense is burning there. Now, the number one inside the temple that separated the people and the priests from God's presence is behind the curtain, the veil of the temple. Inside the veil is the holy, the holy of holy place. The priest is ministering in the holy place. Now, the altar of incense, it represented this. The number one ingredient in Exodus 30 is frankincense. And frankincense represented, as it went up, a sweet fragrance of intercessory prayer on behalf of those who are unholy on this side of the curtain and were separated from God. So the prayer was, have mercy on these sinners because you're holy and we're not. So what the high priest's job was is to go out and get some blood from the altar of sacrifice where people brought in a stand-in for their own sins, confessed their sins onto a lamb's head. And the lamb was slaughtered and the blood was taken from the altar outside and put on the four corners of that altar of incense. So that when the frankincense, and that was the major ingredient, the frankincense burned a sweet smell of saying, these sins 
are temporarily paid for. And so that there was some sort of justice and some kind of reconciliation. Though the blood of bulls and goats and lambs can't do the job. But it had a temporary significance as it pointed to Christ on the cross, who is the true lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Now, the myrrh. (laughs) The myrrh is the first ingredient in the anointing oil of the high priest. So to anoint the high priest before he put on all his stuff, you take the oil of myrrh and you'd anoint it on his head, right? And God had an ingredients list there, but myrrh was topping it. Now you have a problem though. The high priest's job was to kind of intercede, right? That's what the word priest means. God's hand, the sinner's hand, bring them together. He's the wrong dude. He can't do it because he's got sins of his own. So the Bible says he's disqualified because he's a sinner and he needs to make a blood sacrifice for his own sins. So everything is year after year after year. He's, he can't do the job because he's a sinner. He brings in the blood of an animal to atone for sins of a man. Doesn't work, but it's all pointing to the baby, the God-man, the high priest, There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and that is in the cradle there, God as high priest. Now, they bring frankincense, right? And myrrh. Let me show you how Jesus as the perfect offering will give his own blood. He he is sin-free, so he's able to, instead of the lamb, he is the lamb. And he, his blood is what is put on the altar. Now, he's the high priest who's anointed with myrrh. Let me show you what the plant looks like of myrrh. You recognize that? There are thorns on a myrrh bush tree. Now, the high priest stands before Pilate and he's anointed with myrrh on his head. He is the anointed one with the myrrh and he offers up on the cross, Father, forgive them. That is the frankincense there, the prayer, the sweet intercession that goes up before, not with lamb's blood or goat's blood, but by the sinless son of God. His blood on behalf of who? Whosoever believes in him. Whether you're from Iraq, whether you're from Jerusalem, or the utmost parts of the world. That's our savior. The gold, God. The frankincense, the intercession, and the suffering of the myrrh of the high priest who was born in Christmas. That On Christmas right there in front of the entire world. Listen, God doesn't want anybody to miss it. He wants to get our attention. Does he have yours? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for all the ways the story comes together. Wow, more ways than we ever dreamed. And I'm sure when we get to heaven, Father, we will find out that you have really knit this 
gospel together in so many miraculous ways. We stand amazed and we are overjoyed that we would be favored to hear the gospel and given the grace to come and bow our knees and open our hearts, God. We just pray for anybody here who hasn't done that yet, God, that you would continue to work on their hearts and lives, that they wouldn't be like King Herod, but they would be like wise people who take the truth, put it into practice so that they can be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.